Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another day. And we thank you for Sundays. And we pray, God, that this this morning right now, as we come to the, the part of the service that has the most meaning to us, the opening of your word, we pray, God, that you'd make us attentive, that we would hear the word today. We ask, Lord, that your word would would speak to us, would touch our lives, and would touch our hearts. God, we know that you are God and there is no other. And your Son, the Lord Jesus, is the one mediator between God and men. And so, God, make us faithful to him. Give us a love and devotion to him, for he is worthy of it. We ask your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, that's the third chapter in the Gospel of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to use the pew, you can use the pew Bible there in front of you, page 978. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there in front of you, the black one, page 978. We're looking at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It's good every once in a while... To, for us to be reminded about what the purpose of a church is. The highest purpose of the church is to glorify God and to do that by connect and to do that by connecting people to Jesus. Our church's mission statement says that we exist to proclaim Jesus. It is our biggest desire that we would help people and people everywhere to know Jesus, to hear about him and then respond to that message. Now, there are lots of other things that churches can do and and honestly should be doing, but everything else that the church is doing is to help the church do that very thing and is to build the church on helping people connect to Jesus. We make no um, apologies about, if we're not about Jesus and connecting people to Jesus and proclaiming Jesus, then we feel like in many ways that we are not doing what God has called us to do. We are to preach the gospel. We are to point people to Jesus. We are to hold high the cross of Jesus as where he died for the forgiveness of sins. And we believe that, and that's what we're about. So it's good for us to be reminded of that. Well, in John chapter 3... We have perhaps the best, the clearest place where Jesus himself is teaching this. It is imperative for people to know Jesus and know him in a real, personal, life-changing way. It is imperative for people to say, I believe in Jesus. He died for my sins. I am trusting in him for forgiveness. And Jesus brings this about in John chapter 3 in, in what might be one of the most famous passages in all the world. If people know anything about the Bible, they usually know something from John chapter 3. You know that in John chapter 3, I'm not going to get there today, but is where verse 16 is, the most famous Bible verse in, in the world. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is in this chapter. That is um, after the verses that we will read today. We're going to see where a man comes to Jesus and has some interest, has some questions, and Jesus and this man enter into a conversation. It's, it's fascinating. One commentator reminds us, and this is very helpful for us to hear before we get into it, a man may be ignorant of many things in regards to religion, and yet still be saved. I want to remind you that. 
In order for you to be a good Christian, it doesn't mean you have to know enough or be smart enough or anything like that. You don't have to have the Bible memorized or even a book of it memorized or even a page of it memorized. A man may be ignorant of many things in religion and yet still be saved, but to be ignorant of the matters handled in this chapter, John chapter 3, that is to be on the broad way which leads to destruction. It is that important. This is Jesus explaining to a man about life and death and eternal life and where we go when we die. So read with me, if you will, at John chapter 3. We're going to read the first eight verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Good passage. I want to give you three points today. The first is an interest in salvation. An interest, an interest in salvation. Number two, the intensity of the truth. The intensity of the truth. And then lastly, number three, the impact of salvation. An interest in salvation, the intensity of the truth, and an impact of salvation. Let's begin at the top with an interest in salvation. I want you to hear today that a knowledge about Jesus is not what saves you. You and I are not to feel good when we say, yeah, yeah, he knows about Jesus. You and I are not to to be comforted when we hear somebody say, yeah, he knows that Jesus died on the cross. When I got home from work, uh, uh, this Thursday, and I came inside, my two-year-old greeted me, and she said, Daddy, I'm ready to be saved. My two-year-old. She had heard that J.J. had just gotten saved, and she was ready to be. And she understands that Jesus died on the cross for her. Okay? And all that is good. Please don't hear that that's not good. That is good. But one knowing something about Jesus is not enough to save them. Okay, and our first point today is that there is an interest in salvation. Let's look here. There was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group of of Jewish people, religious people, that had become the leaders. Here it says that this one, this Nicodemus, was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He, amongst the religious people, was a leader. He was like you would look at a minister. He was a, he was a leader. So you know that the Jewish religion is a big religion. You know that the Jewish religion is the religion that, that, that God had started uh, in the Old Testament, born from his people, born from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Nicodemus was one of those. 
Nicodemus was a leader. Nicodemus is one who teaches the Bible, understands the Bible, helps people understand the Bible, and literally, literally, literally works hard to obey the Bible. That was this guy. And now, with all the work and practice and devotion he puts into his uh, uh, spiritual life, if you will, his world has now encountered Jesus. And Jesus has come into the world preaching and teaching, and Jesus is himself a Jew. So Nicodemus and Jesus are the same as far as where they're from, as far as their family lines, as far as what they believe, uh, many things about the Old Testament. Yet Jesus has come preaching that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. Anybody that believes the Old Testament believes we are sinners that need a Savior, and one day God's going to send one. This is the Old Testament's message. We are people that have disobeyed God's Ten Commandments. None of us here would say we've kept them all, and we are people that have disobeyed the Ten Commandments. And so the, the message of the Old Testament is to get us to say, I need a Savior, and you know what? God will provide one. That's what the whole Old Testament's about. Well, Jesus came saying, I'm the one he's provided. I am that Savior. I'm the one sent from God to die for your sins so that all of your sacrifices would not be needed anymore. I am the sacrifice once and for all. If you believe in me, I will wash away your sins forever. And so a man like Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, a religious guy, says, well, wait a second, me and Jesus have a lot in common. But I don't get how he's saying he's the Savior. I'm not sure about that. And so, this man, verse 2, came to Jesus by night. Now, a lot of, a lot of speculation there on why he came by night. Not, not really sure. It doesn't tell us. But I think it's worth noting that he probably came by night because he, he didn't want this to be public. He didn't want this to be daytime. He wanted to kind of to keep it on the low, if you will. He came to Jesus by night to see if they could set up a little meeting and have a conversation, which they're about to have. He didn't want to have it out in the daylight. He didn't want to have it in public, in the community, in the synagogue or something like that because everybody would be thinking, man, man, this guy Nicodemus, this guy's a leader. Why is he talking to him about this? Why is he inquiring about biblical teaching? Why is he inquiring about salvation? So he comes at night. He says to him, Rabbi, that, that means teacher because Jesus has been teaching, it says, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This is our first point today. That knowledge about Jesus is not what saves you. And that there are many, many, many who have an interest in salvation, yet do not have salvation. Notice, Nicodemus has come on his own initiative, if it had been today, he would have called him up and said, Hey, Jesus, are you, are you free on Tuesday for lunch? i got a, several questions. I'm very interested in some of the stuff you've been teaching. Can we get together and talk for a little bit? That's what's happened. Except here they're meeting at night, and he says, We know that you are a teacher come from God. He acknowledges that. He admits that he thinks Jesus comes from God. And not only that, the way he teaches is evident that he's from God. Jesus teaches in such a way that people are like, Man, this guy teaches like nobody else. I'm kind of captivated. I'm on the edge of my seat. One of those type of teachers where you're not ready to get out the door and make it to 12 o'clock lunch. You want to keep listening. That's the way Jesus was. And he says, 
Nobody can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. So now, not only is his teaching from God, but the way he lives and the signs and the miracles that Jesus has done are clearly from God too. So Nicodemus, in all honesty, is willing to at least inquire about Jesus. Yes, he's a leader. Yes, uh, yes, Nicodemus is a teacher. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader of the Jews. But this guy's teaching... This guy's living, this guy's working is captivating. He can't just dismiss it. It's too real, it's too authentic, it's too impressive to just say, no, we're right, I'm not going to worry about him. He's drawn to Jesus. He's got an interest there. He's got a question for him. But before he really even asks the question, Jesus answers. And Jesus answers in a way, which we're going to get to in a second, that shows that Nicodemus doesn't believe. The Bible teaches us that one must believe in order to be saved. Believe with their heart, believe with their mind, believe with everything in them, believe with a full response in Jesus, and he doesn't. So I want to make this point today. That just because somebody is interested in Jesus and knows things about Jesus and knows that Jesus is from God or Jesus is God, it doesn't mean they're saved. We should not find comfort in that. When I was... In school still, I waited tables at Bonefish Grill on, over on Hurstburn Parkway. I loved waiting tables. It was, it was a lot of fun until I got married. Then I hated it. But I enjoyed it. And I wanted to, to make a difference there. And I prayed about God using me there. And I, I would have conversations. And two guys come to mind. One guy, I had asked him if he'd be willing to read this little pamphlet with me and for us to discuss. And he was glad to. And, he, he read this booklet, and it talked a lot about Jesus, and he read it, and we talked about it, and we went back and forth on it, and he said, yeah, I like that, man, it's pretty cool, and there's a lot of it that I agree with, but I, I, I don't want to be a Christian. And we kept that conversation going for a while, the whole time I worked there, and we were friends, and I like him. And, and he, was, he was willing to read this thing, and he said he understood some of it, and he said he liked some of it, said he agreed with some of it, but he didn't want to be a Christian. Another guy was even more open, and me and him read a big book together. If I recall, I think it was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I had gotten him a copy, I had a copy, I gave it to him, and we spent months reading a chapter at a time and talking about it. We'd go through with what it means, and, and there were times where he was really wanting to say, you know what, I'm really interested in being a Christian, and then and there were times where he wasn't. And I had spent time with him, played ping pong with him, shot basketball with him, hung out with him and all that, and he says, you know, I, I just don't think so, Josh there are a lot of people in the world who are proud to go to church or okay to have a Bible in their house. And certainly at a funeral, they want somebody like me to come and say some nice words. Or There are a lot of people who are interested in Jesus and yet not saved. And we need to make sure we understand that. Now, with that said, let's take it a whole other step and say, we need to be good to those people, loving to those people, and welcoming to those people. We're not the ones that are to be condemning or pushing away or say, well, you know, I thought you were serious about this, but you're not, so I'll see you later. We're not. We're the ones who need to be patient with people who are new, people who are curious, people who are just learning about Jesus. You shouldn't be disappointed when somebody doesn't know as much about Jesus with you. They haven't learned as much. Just this week, I had a conversation with a kid at the high school who, who is interested in, in Jesus, and I asked him, do you know much about the Bible? He said, no, I, I don't really know that much about the Bible yet. And I said, man, that's great. I was there once too. You'll start learning. We need to understand that that's okay to be in that position. It's okay for you to have somebody in your life like Nicodemus. Let me show you something. If you go forward a little bit in chapter 7, 
You've got Nicodemus seeming to defend Jesus a little bit. They're having a conversation about him, and, and Nicodemus speaks up, and yet perhaps still not believing, but Nicodemus speaks up and says, yeah, yeah, but, but, but wait a minute, he, he's not doing anything wrong. He kind of speaks well of him. Then, you get to the very end of the Gospel of John. Joseph of Arimathea has the body, and he's going to bury Jesus. He's the one who's got the tomb, and he's going he's to bury Jesus. Some of y'all are familiar with that. And the Bible teaches us that all of Jesus' real followers have run away. They're gone. The disciples are hiding. They're scared. They're confused. It's a dark day. Jesus, their Lord, is dead. And the ones who are closest to him have scattered. You know who John mentions is there helping with the burial? Boldly, proudly, strongly taking care of the Lord Jesus? Nicodemus is helping Joseph. Somewhere along the line, God had changed his heart and saved him. Listen to this quote, it's fascinating. In everything, there must be a beginning. It is not those who make the most flaming profession of religion at first who endure the longest and prove the most steadfast. Listen, Judas Iscariot was an apostle when Nicodemus was just groping his way slowly into full light. Yet afterwards, when Nicodemus was boldly helping to bury his crucified Savior, Jesus Iscariot had betrayed him and ran off and hanged himself. What a neat light, right? I want you to hear today that an interest in salvation does not mean you have salvation. A love for church does not mean that you have a love for the Lord of the church. A knowing about Jesus does not mean that you know Jesus. And while we don't affirm that and say that that's a good thing, we are okay with that. And may we encourage people who are in that process or in that stage of life to become closer, to hear more. May we push them to believing in Jesus and repenting of their sins. May we push people to have a commitment to Christ and say, no, I want to know him and his resurrection. I want to know the power. I want him to be in my life. We see with Nicodemus a great interest in salvation, yet he does not have salvation. Secondly, an intensity of the truth. And this is where our passage gets very real. Jesus is pointing out here that a changed heart by God is what saves you. So if a knowledge about Jesus is not what saves you, God changing your heart to know Jesus is what saves you. And that's why I'm calling this intensity of the truth. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus had not necessarily asked that question. Jesus seems to give a response that, that Nicodemus maybe didn't call for. But Jesus, who knows all things, who is God himself, knows our hearts and our minds, even before we speak a word, Jesus knows where Nicodemus is at and where Nicodemus is coming from. And so Jesus just cuts to the chase and starts to cut down on the small talk and get to a salvation conversation. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One of the things that I've kind of been shaken by lately as I've been reading the Gospels, even this, um, this past week in our mid-morning men's and women's Bible study, Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, if ever y'all are free in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day at 10 a.m., come here. We have Bible study for men on Wednesdays and Bible study for lady on th ladies on Thursdays. We realize that that's not the ideal time, but there are a lot of people in Fairdale who are free at that time, so we have fantastic Bible study in the middle of the day. This past week, we had our Bible study uh, from the Gospel of Matthew and I noticed then, like I'm noticing here in John, that Jesus does not hesitate to say that people will not go to heaven. 
And I want to I encourage you all, not with a big pessimistic conversation, but it is biblical truth, and I want you to get it, that not everybody is going to heaven. There are two places that people end up, heaven and hell, and that's real. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus here. Nicodemus comes by night. He's clearly a nice guy. He speaks well to Jesus. He's a leader of the Jews. And he says, we know that you're from God. Jesus says, well, truly, truly, I'm going to tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you must be born again. If you're here today and you've never heard that before, then you're wondering, well, what does that mean? Nicodemus had never heard that before, so he's wondering, what does that mean? If you're here today and you're not born again, you're wondering, what does that mean? So, Nicodemus responds in verse 4 and says, Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother, mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus asks questions that shows he, he doesn't understand. And in some ways, it's kind of humorous to us that he would even consider that. We're not to think that Nicodemus is you know, foolish or something, and actually thinking that that is possible for me to go back into my, my mom's stomach, you know, that, that's silly. But what he is asking is, that's not really possible, Jesus, so what do you mean? I don't understand this new birth talk, so what do you mean by that? A second time? Born again when you're old? What, what do you mean? But it is showing that he doesn't know. So Jesus answers, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, now, Jesus has said the same thing um, in, in, in different words. He still says that you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot go to heaven, but he says it differently. In verse 3, it was born again. In verse 5, it is born of water and the Spirit. I want to tell you right away that he's not referring to baptism here. We're not to understand that baptism saves. We're to understand that faith in the Lord Jesus saves. Baptism doesn't. So what does he mean by water and the Spirit? Well, I want to keep it simple. The birth must be a spiritual birth. And the water here is representing of being cleansed. The Bible teaches us that the blood of Christ is the only thing that can wash away sins. Let me say it again. The Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus on the cross is the only thing that can wash away sins. If you have ever sinned before, your only hope of that sin being forgiven is for you to trust with your whole heart in the blood of Jesus on the cross. There is no other forgiveness, there is no other way to be forgiven than the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God. He's holy and he never sinned. And so, when God planned to kill his son for us, it was the perfect, fitting, appropriate, good, and pleasing sacrifice. Somebody else's blood would not have done the job, but the blood of God himself is enough to wash away our sins. And what saves somebody is when they, apart from Jesus, look to what Jesus did on the cross. Let's picture that on that side is where Jesus died on the cross. Is when they look to Jesus dying on the cross and they say, God, you did that for me, for my sins. And I am believing that. God, I ask right now that you would forgive me of my sins. God, I'm repenting of my sins. God, I'm sorry of my sins. My sins are wrong. Would you forgive me? And the Bible says that that sort of a faith meant from the heart and meant from the head well, God will 
take that blood and spiritually wash you clean. That's why in the eyes of God you can be pure. That's why in the eyes of God you can be spotless. That's why in the eyes of God he looks at sinners like me or sinners like you and sees us as clean because of what Jesus' blood has done. This is what Jesus is explaining. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, so you're wondering, well, why does he use the, 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 the born language? Because when we're over here looking at that work on the cross, there's nothing that we do, listen, to be saved. There's no, I've, I've been to church or I took the Lord's Supper or I read my Bible or I prayed or I, I gave money. There's, no, there's nothing like that. It is a birth that God does inside of us. Now, when that birth happens inside of us, what does it look like outwardly? Well, we're going to get to it more in this passage, but it looks outwardly like, I believe. It looks like, I believe. I don't like my sins. I don't want to sin anymore. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me of my sins? And I believe in that. And I believe that I'm going to heaven. I'm entering the kingdom of God because of Jesus' death on the cross. The blood and the blood alone is my only hope. And, and, and me being assertive that I believe in Jesus, is, it means that God has put a birth in me. God has made me alive on the inside. He has given me a new life. This is what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. But, but Nicodemus didn't understand it. Now, many people will say, yeah, I, that's a little bit too much, Josh. I mean, I get going to church and trying to better myself, but, but uh, needing to be born again on the inside just sounds a little bit too much. Well, let me explain a little bit more. The Bible doesn't teach us that we are people who pretty much have it together and just need some help, which I'm okay using that language. I need help in life, and y'all need help in life, and I hope that coming today is going to help you in life, so I'm okay with that. But the Bible wants us to see that we didn't come to the Bible asking God to make this decent person a little bit better. I'm not at 80%. I need to get charged up to 100% so I'll do well in life. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that as I'm standing over here looking at that, that I'm dead in my sins. Now, I don't mean that every single person here sins a million times a day. I'm just saying that the Bible says that sin makes you guilty before God. And guilty before God means the wages of sin is death. If you've sinned one time, maybe you didn't even sin yesterday. I don't know, and I'm not going to argue with you about that. But maybe you've sinned one time, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that we're dead in our sins dead but the bible says that if you'll look to the cross of christ and see the blood spilt for you out of the rich love of god then god will save you and in god saving you he makes you alive he makes a dead person alive he doesn't make a bad person good sometimes people say that you might see some christian bumper stickers to say that it's all baloney don't use the bad good talk he didn't make a, 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 a an okay person better no I'm okay with y'all thinking of me as the worst guy you know. That's okay. But please know that I'm alive. I don't care if you call me good or bad or mean or ugly or anything like that. But know that we're alive. I was dead in my sins. And God made me alive. That's the language, that's the imagery Jesus is using with Nicodemus. You need to be born. So let me tell you some quotes. J.C. Ryle says, we might as well expect a dead man to give himself life as expect a natural man to make himself spiritual. Man can do many things, but he cannot give life either to himself or to others. To give life is the peculiar prerogative of God. Listen to this. 
Heaven may be reached without money, amen, or rank, or learning. You can go to heaven if you're dead broke, been poor your whole life. You can go to heaven if you're in debt. You can go to heaven if you've never had rank. You've never had a title. You've never had a job that could give you a title. You never got first place. You came last all the time. If you never had rank in anything, you can still go to heaven. You can go to heaven if you have zero learning. Maybe you quit school. Maybe you didn't graduate. Maybe you can't read and write. I know a lot of people that can't. Maybe you've never read the Bible and you couldn't find John chapter 3, verse 16 when I asked you to. That's okay. Listen to what he says. Heaven may be reached without money or rank or learning, but it is as clear as daylight that nobody can enter heaven without the new birth. You have to be born alive. You have to realize that your sins killed you spiritually. And you need God to make you alive. That's the intensity of the truth. See, wouldn't we, let's be honest, wouldn't we, let's just say that somebody called me up. Let's say there's a man living in Faraday 40 years old and pretty good at life but struggling a little bit. And lately he's been lacking peace and just feeling some stress and some burden. He calls me up and says, Josh, can you think we could get together this week? I, man, I just, I just, I'm just trying to understand life a little bit better. I'd be thrilled. And we go, and we, we sit down, and we meet somewhere. We go over here to Dairy Queen, get us a nice booth, and we sit down, and for an hour, hour and a half, we just talk about life and how marriage can be better and what it means to be a faithful husband and love your kids and work and do well and what it means to have God in your life. We talk about all that. It's similar to what Jesus and Nicodemus are doing. Except Jesus' intensity is remarkable. Nicodemus says, man, we, we can tell you're from God. Jesus says, you must be born again if you want to go to heaven. You must be born of the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God. The intensity of it is incredible. But Jesus knows that sinners are sinners. And Jesus knows better than you and I do that when we talk about God, we talk about a holy God. When we talk about a God, we talk about a good God. We talk about a God that's serious and intense in his very being. And to think that I just need a little bit of help and God's going to be okay with me is not the message. But to think that despite my sins, God loves me with an unconditional love, that God will never give up on me, that God is patient with me, that God is faithful and consistent to me, and that if I trust him, he will never let me go, and he will save me. That's what Jesus is wanting Nicodemus to see. Listen to this quote from J.C. Ryle. It says, The change which our Lord here declares needful to salvation is evidently no slight or superficial one. It is not merely, listen, it is not merely reformation or amendment or moral change or even an outward alteration of your life. Jesus is not talking about that. If you came here today, my message is not for you. Well, if you'll listen to me, I'll help you go out and do better, okay? I think I might help you go out and do better, but that's not our message. It is a thorough, listen, change of heart, will, and character. 
What Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus is that God can birth in him a change of his heart, a change of his will, and a change of his character. Hey, I love it when I see somebody whose character has been changed. Who they are in the day is now who they are in the night. And the way they talk about their enemies is filled with love and grace. And the way they handle adversity is filled with God. He goes on, he says, It is the implanting, it is a resurrection, it is a new creation, it is a passing from death to life, it is the implanting in our dead hearts of a new principle from above, it is the calling into existence of a new creature with a new nature, new habits of life, new tastes, new desires, new appetites, new judgments, new opinions, new hopes, and new fears. All this and nothing less than this is implied when our Lord declares that we all need a new birth. I don't care if you've been coming here for 70 years. Some of y'all have. And I don't care if you've been coming for seven months. I don't know you all well enough to be able to say, and ultimately God is the judge. He hasn't asked me to be able to say whether I think you're going to heaven or not, even for those of y'all that are my very best friends. But please know, when it comes time for you to pass away, you ought not find any confidence, and I ought not find any confidence in what we think are the good things about us. Now, I will celebrate the good things about you, absolutely. I appreciate you as a person and who you are. But the Bible makes very clear the intensity of the truth that what saves you and makes you right with God is the new birth, something that God does inside of you that makes you alive from your deadness, that something that makes you forgiveness from your guiltiness. Lately, I've been having a conversation a lot about what it means to have a guilty conscience. And all of us know what it's like to have a guilty conscience. The Bible says that God will give you a clear conscience. Not that you've always done everything right, but that you know that you're forgiven and that your aim is to do everything right in every relationship that you have. Not that we mess up, but that we're willing to say, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's incredible how often I have to say that to my children, but my hope is that they will know that I'm a man that has a clear conscience because I do love them and I apologize. May that be the way we are always. May that come from our heart that recognizes we know God. So Nicodemus comes. Jesus answers him a second time. Now look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus wants us to see a difference between what is coming out of you naturally and what is coming out of you spiritually. That's a tough conversation, right? Because, let's be honest. I mean, if you grow up with a preacher, like my children are, and we read the Bible every day, and we pray over everything, then our kids are going to grow up talking about God and quoting some scripture and being able to pray. I'm okay with saying that's from the flesh. That's natural, right? And y'all know that. Let's don't kid ourselves that that's something spiritual. Just because somebody can quote a Bible verse or carry one or go to church or raise their hand or sing loud or even pray out loud when needed to or even give monies to the cause or anything like that, that can all be natural stuff. 
Jesus is having a pinpointed, accurate, intense conversation with Nicodemus that there must be something in you intense about you that comes from the Spirit. And the Bible explains what spiritual life looks like. In 1 John, it says that the Spirit causes us to confess Jesus. It's people that speak of Jesus as Lord. If you don't talk about Jesus, if you cannot talk about Jesus, if the most your conversation can say is the man upstairs or the good Lord, then I'm hesitant to think that that's a spiritual thing. Very much so can be natural just to hear us say, uh, the good Lord. Many people say that. First John also says that those who continue in their sins, habitual sin, they don't see a problem with it, they don't want to stop, they're not asking for help, they're not seeking the Lord, that type of thing, where they're just okay with sin, that those don't know the Lord. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list of fruit. And it lists those fruit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine different fruit that we are to see that are the product of the Spirit. If we don't see, and I don't mean those as spotty in our lives. I mean those are the characteristics of who we are deep down. In adversity, against our enemies, in trials, in the struggle. Without those, we have an absence of the Spirit. And this is where Jesus wants Nicodemus to be. Are you of the Spirit? Are you born of the Spirit? You need to be born of the Spirit. Intense conversation that has to happen. A changed heart by God is what saves you. And then number three, lastly, the impact of salvation. And Jesus, like good speakers do, Jesus knows how to speak in such a way that, that connects with the people. See, we need to understand that, that preaching and teaching is not just a natural across the board. It depends on who you're talking to, right? It depends on who your audience is. It depends on if they're understanding or if they're listening. It depends if they like what you're saying or not. You, you have to. And Jesus is good at this. Jesus can have conversations with anybody. Sometimes they've never read and sometimes they're well-versed. Sometimes it's men and sometimes it's women. Jesus can talk to anybody at any place, any setting, and they were captivated by it. It's encouraging because he's God and he's a teacher. Verse 7, Jesus says to him, do not, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus is kind of sensing in Nicodemus this kind of, I'm overwhelmed by this idea. Here I've been spending my entire life. I've been spending my entire life as a Jew. Now as a leader of the Jews, I teach. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a ruler of the Jews. And I never knew you had to be born of the Spirit. I never got that. He was marveling at it. Really? I want to remind you here today that even in his marveling and even in him shaking his head, man, I don't even get this, that it didn't stop him from then coming. My fear is that there may be some people that have done church for so long that are now recognizing they've got some heart problems. But because they're so deep in church, they won't repent and make it right. Let me encourage you today that Nicodemus did. Nicodemus in this position is, is, is almost shameful. Like, how does he not? Jump down real quick and look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to them, well, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel 
and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus seems to say to him, you've been devoting your whole life to the Word of God, and you still don't get that? But it didn't stop Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't go home proud and say, I don't care what he says, man. I mean, I, I've always been doing it. I'm okay. Nicodemus didn't rest on, no, nah, I'm okay. I know I'm okay. Nicodemus responded. Again, we see him at the end of John at the tomb. And if you're one of those people here that have been church, maybe you got baptized 40 years ago. Maybe you used to do more. Check your heart. Be willing to respond to the teaching of Jesus and say, my past before me, but the future ahead of me, I want to trust in Christ. Look at verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Then he gives this illustration. It's verse 8, and it's our last verse of the day. And, and it's like the perfect illustration of you must be born again. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He gives the illustration of the wind. And we're familiar with it. We had that cold weather, snow, it was awesome. Three snow days, the kids were out of school the, the previous week. But then this week came and snow started to melt. And I think on Wednesday or Thursday, it got up into 40s. And yesterday, it got up into 60s. Today, the high is 65 today. Not as much sun today, but it's going to be awesome. It felt good. I'm wearing a sweater and I shouldn't be. I'm hot. The weather's changed, but with the weather changing and the sun coming out and the warmer temperatures, the wind's been blowing, has it not? It was windy yesterday. If you were outside, you felt the wind. And yet, you don't know if it's windy until you see what the wind is doing. I remember one time I was outside with my three sons, and the wind was blowing again, and this Polar Pop cup, everybody knows what Polar Pop is, right? Polar Pop cup, 79 cent at Circle K, y'all know what they are. This Polar Pop cup just went flying by through the churchyard, wind just blowing. And I said, kids, did I ever tell y'all that there are some polar pop cups that can fly? Some of them can, not all of them. But have you ever seen those polar pop cups? Some of them can just fly through the air. They said, no, they can't. And I said, well, yes, they can. No, they can't. I said, well, how do you know? I just saw one fly by. You know what they said? That's the wind. That's the wind. You know what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus? When you see somebody that loves God and lives like it, you don't start thinking, man, they're good. They must have had good parents. That's the Spirit. That's the Spirit. It's like the wind. The Spirit's working. People are starting to love the truth. People are starting to say, teach me. People are starting to say, I don't, I don't want to sin anymore. People are starting to say, I need to be forgiven. People are starting to say, I want to love people. I want to impact my neighbors. I want to impact my family. I want to be a blessing here. And that's the work of the Spirit. You can't see the Spirit. It's like the wind. But you can certainly see what the Spirit's doing. And what the Spirit does is causes us to have life. Life in God. Life according to the truth. It impacts us. Nicodemus comes with an interest in salvation. That a knowledge about Jesus is not what saves you. 
Jesus answers with an intensity of the truth. It is a changed heart by God that saves you. And then at the end, we see the impact of salvation. Salvation has a look to it. It looks like the Spirit is working. Let's not kid ourselves on trying to... uh, uh, try to act like what the world or what our lives or what the flesh can produce is the Spirit's working. Let's keep that intensity of the truth like Jesus says on what the spiritual life looks like. If you're here today, I want to ask you to be born again. And if you think I've, I am born again, I want to ask you if you're Spirit-led. I want to ask you if you're spiritual I'm going to ask you if the Spirit's there. And if it's been lacking, then I ask you to get right. Just call out to God. Believe in Jesus. Follow Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John chapter 3. For Jesus' simple but profound passage on the new birth. God, help us to be those who really can tell that you have given us life, spiritual life. God, help us to be those people who know that you have raised this dead spiritual life to be living. And may it be that we're trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.